0: Well, friends, good morning. Good morning and welcome to worship at Pleasant Street Christian Forum Church. My name is Matthew. I'm the senior pastor here. On behalf of all of us, so glad that you could be with us today, whether you are here for the first time or because you're here every single week. It is good to see all of you today. Uh, And welcome to those of you who we can't see, but whom are very much on our mind and part of us this morning. Glad for those of you at home joining us today as well. Uh, As we get started today, just a reminder for you when we worship, we do so using a printed uh, order of service. This holds the words that we're going to say together and the songs that we're going to sing together. And so this will guide us in the things that we're going to do and worship together this morning. And also, as uh, we're continuing through the fall, we're bringing things back online, uh, programs that we haven't seen in a while. We're sort of remembering all the things that we do together as a church uh, we're remembering what each other look like without masks on. Uh, yeah. Hi, Wanda. How are you? Good morning. <laughs> it's good to see you. Thanks for being here. Um, so you and I had talked about this a little bit, and, you know, the Faith Promise team was new to me, uh, and um, I thought perhaps it might be new to others as well, so we just want to talk for a second. I'm curious to know, uh, why did you take on leading this team?
1: Well... January 1999. Mm -hmm. At that time I was asked to be a member of the Faith Promise Team. There were several different people who led the team throughout the years. Then there came a time when no one on the team wanted to lead. So I took it on. (laughs) I felt it was important for our church to continue Faith Promise Giving.
0: Yeah, and you were willing to get out in front of that one for us. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I, so this team, I'm sure you, uh, there's lots of things that are involved. But for all of us, I guess I'm just curious to know, could you help us understand um, why, why is this team, this faith promise work, important for us as a church community? What does it add to our life as a congregation?
1: Faith promise giving increases a congregation's vision for missions thereby increasing in prayer and financial support. Our purpose is to offer the congregation an effective means to prayerfully consider their part in faithful giving to support our ministries. Mm-hmm. So we now have 12 mission causes. Wow. We started with two.
0: <laughs> That's amazing. I, I remember being astounded by that even when we were coming in here, seeing the number of ministries and mission uh, partnerships that we had in the life of our church. So one of the things that happens is when you get involved in leadership, uh, being involved in serving in ways in the life of our congregation, you get to be up close to the work that God is doing, right? That's part of the reason all of us want to serve in different ways in a church, because you get to see the things that God is doing. I'm curious to know for you, Wanda, um, what have you learned about God and, uh, or our church as you've been part of this work?
1: I have learned that God is faithful. The support always came through. Mm-hmm. I want to thank all of those who faithfully are giving to Faith Promise to support our missionaries. I also got to know the missionaries and better understand their needs. Yeah. At our meetings, we enjoy sharing what we have learned from our missionaries. Mm-hmm. They, too, need encouragement. Mm-hmm. And it's just great to see how God provides and helps us through all of our efforts. Yeah,
0: it's good to remember we're part of a much bigger family, right, than mm-hmm. what's happening just here in in our little corner in Whitensville. Yeah. That's wonderful. Uh, one last question for you, Wanda. Uh, Faith Promise Sunday is coming up next Sunday, right? Uh, we'll have some missionaries here with us, so that's very exciting. I'm curious to know for all of us, how can we help?
1: First of all, we need to pray for them. They need our prayers. Okay, yeah. And they also appreciate letters, cards, emails, or any type of correspondence. They appreciate hearing from anyone, young or old. Mm -hmm. We would like to add a couple more members to our team. And it is not a big commitment. Mm -hmm. It does require a love for missions. So just let Beth Bowl, Laura McGrath, or me know if you are interested or if you have any kind of questions.
0: That's great. Thank you so much, Wanda. Yeah. It's good to be reminded of ways that we can serve and partner together, uh, not only for the work here in our congregation, but as, as part of the body of what Jesus is doing throughout the world. But when we come into worship, we remember that we aren't just people who have gifts Uh, to give and things to do, We 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 are worshiping creatures, right? And we are deeply loved. And so friends, when we come here, it's not because we have something to do, but because we have a God who has done everything for us. And so friends, I would invite you to rise in body or in spirit, and let's spend some time marveling at that together. It's our God who calls us to worship with these words from the Psalms and from Romans. Friends, let us worship God in our fortress. Let us confess with our mouths Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. Let us call upon our true God, believing him in our hearts, confessing him with our mouths, and worshiping him in spirit and in truth.
2: it be the right you left, left God. and kings and
0: and sisters, quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you, therefore he will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice, blessed are all those who wait for him
2: out of the depths i cry to you in darkest places i will call incline your ear to me anew and hear my cry for mercy lord To count my sinful ways Could I come before your throne Yet full forgiveness meets my case. I stand redeemed by grace alone I will wait for you healing in his sacrifice
0: our sins, O Lord, forgive us the sins of our youth and the sins of our age, the sins of our soul and the sins of our body, our secret and our whispering sins, our presumptuous and our careless sins, the sins we have done to please ourselves and the sins we have done to please others. Forgive us the sins that we know and the sins that we know not. Forgive them, O Lord. Forgive them all because of your great goodness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Each and every week, we practice this rhythm of confession because we know that we don't see it on our own. And so God has to demonstrate to us our need of him. And the same God who has the power to reveal to us our sins is the same God who demonstrates to us over and over again what he's done about it. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Let's say it together. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God.
2: God, what is our prayer? Lord, continue to show us your wonderful, never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Amen. The Lord be with you. With you. Good job. Go in peace to love and serve Jesus. Thanks be to God.
3: Good morning, everyone. I'm Emily Fortni. I'm one of the elders here at Pleasant Street, and it's my privilege to lead us in prayer this morning. Um, I based my prayer this morning on Psalm 184, so let us go to God in prayer. We exalt you, O God, our King. We praise your name forever and ever. Great are you, Lord, and most worthy of praise. We cannot fathom your greatness, your creation, majestic mountains and vibrant colors of fall only give us a small glimpse of your infinite greatness. Throughout the 125-year history of this church, we have heard stories of your faithfulness and your awesome works. We will meditate on your wonderful works, and we will proclaim your great deeds. Sometimes we are distracted by the frustrations of daily life. Help us, O Lord, to focus on celebrating your abundant goodness and joyfully singing of your righteousness. You are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. We desperately need your forgiveness. We thank you for being good to all, for sending your Son to bring us salvation. All your works praise you, Lord. We, your faithful people, extol you. Help us to tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. You, O Lord, are trustworthy in all you promise, and faithful in all you do. You, O Lord, uphold all who fall, and lift up all who are bowed down. We ask that you be with those in our congregation who are struggling, those who have recently lost loved ones, those with physical ailments, and those who are stuck in their homes, you open your hand and satisfy the desires of all living things. You are righteous in all your ways and faithful in all you do. We may not understand why you do what you do, but help us to trust. You are near to all who call to you. Help to help us not to rely on ourselves, but to tune our hearts to yours. You fulfill the desires of those who fear you, and you watch over those who love you let every creature praise your holy name forever and ever amen
4: good morning the lord be with you this morning's reading will be from jonah 117 to jonah 2 verse 20 now the lord provided a huge fish to swallow jonah and jonah was in the belly of the fish 3 days And three nights from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, and he said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me from deep in the realm of the dead. I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord.
0: Lord our God, there are so many questions of ownership swirling about us. There are so many questions about who we are. So many people are wondering who belongs where, and what belongs to whom. And we count ourselves among them. We see ourselves among all those in our world today who wanna know, who are we? And so we ask, O God, That here this morning, that you would come and show us that we belong to you. Amen. We've been looking at the book of Jonah together this fall, and today we come to the strangest part of the very short story. Jonah chapter 2 recounts for us a poem that is also a prayer from a guy trapped in a fish. And we are tempted to skip over this part of the story for at least two reasons, because we're not, supposed to, we're not sure what we're supposed to do with the fish part. Do we take that literally, or is this a parable, or what? But also because, honestly, I think we all know how we feel about poetry as a culture right now. Mostly we don't. (laughs) And so, my friends, instead of skipping over it, let's look again. Because here in Jonah chapter 2, God reveals, well, yeah, the most important thing of the entire story. Something That we will not be able to see, though, if we stay on the surface of things. And so we follow Jonah all the way to the roots of the mountains. Right here in Jonah chapter 2, Jonah is sinking to the ocean floor. But in reality, Jonah has been sinking since the beginning of the story. Jonah went down to Joppa, and it's been all downhill from there, quite literally, This is not just like a depth report on a submarine, it's poetry, right? And so poetry, among other things, helps us to look beneath the surface, right? And this poetry shows us that there's something more happening here. Jonah tells us that he isn't just sinking. Spiritually, he is drowning. It's not the storm that scares him. But when he is interpreting for us what's happening, it's really the shame of having abandoned God that seems to wash over him again and again. It's not being in the middle of a dark ocean that is pressing on him, but it's the judgment of God that threatens to wrap around him and entangle him like seaweed. And Jonah doesn't land on the ocean floor What he says is, I am being imprisoned behind sandbars, if you will. He is at the bottom of the world in the place of the dead called Sheol. You see, when people like Jonah conceptualized the world, they imagined that the earth sat on top of water. And beneath the earth are the waters of chaos and death called Sheol, the place of the dead. And, And the mountains are like great pilings that go all the way into Sheol. And they anchor the earth above the waters like a dock on a lake. And so when Jonah says that he goes to Sheol, he means that God has taken him to the very lowest place in the universe, God takes Jonah to the very bottom of the world, to the roots of the mountains, if you will. And here, far beneath the surface of the world, Jonah is, of all things, having an identity crisis, and Jonah is meeting God. Wait a minute, what do you mean Jonah is meeting God? I mean, isn't Jonah a prophet who hears from God? I mean, isn't Jonah a circumcised Israelite? Isn't Jonah a regular active member of the temple community? Oh, yeah. And that's why this is so important. Do you remember the questions that the uh, sailors asked Jonah a couple of weeks ago? They're in the thick of this storm. The wind is howling. And they ask Jonah very interesting questions. They ask, what work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? What people do you belong to? And it occurs to me that those are identity questions. They're asking Jonah, Who are you? What makes your life tick? And because everybody in their world knew that it was your God who defined you, the first question that they're asking, what do you do, is not so much the way that we would ask, so what line of work are you in, but it's more fundamentally like, what God do you serve? And if Jonah is going to answer those questions in the order that he receives them, the way that he might have learned it in catechism school as a Hebrew boy, what's the first thing that he should say? that I am a prophet of the living God who speaks for the living God. I worship in the presence of the living God who parted the Red Sea and gave Abraham and Sarah new names and a child. Because of this, I am a Hebrew. But that's not what Jonah says. When the, when the pagan sailors ask him, who are you? Jonah, in a bit of a Freudian slip of an answer, what's he say? He says, I'm a Hebrew, so of course I worship God. And in a story that is so carefully crafted with its words, it doesn't seem like a mistake that Jonah reverses that order. Jonah is an Israelite, and he does serve the living God. And I bet a lot of the time Jonah thought that those were one and the same. But we already knew which one was more important to Jonah because back in chapter 1, the whole point of the story begins because, because God asks him to go to Nineveh, and it puts those two identities in conflict, and he has to choose. And we see which is more important, pride in his own people. That was the thing that really rooted him in life. And that is why before God can send Jonah to Nineveh, God has to take Jonah down to the roots. God has to take away any and all other pieces of Jonah's identity, not because any of those other pieces are bad, but because they are out of order. And so Jonah loses his job. And then he loses his church family. He himself says in chapter 2, I can never go home now. Right? He loses his respectability. He is aware that he can no longer think of himself as the kind of person who does the right thing when it counts. He loses even the future. He is stuck in a fish at the bottom of the world behind sandbars. And most importantly... The poem is telling us that none of this happens by accident. This is the work of God in Jonah's life. You hurled me into the sea. God takes Jonah down to the roots of the mountain, and spiritually, he takes him to the roots of his identity. Or you could say, down to the studs. Why? It's often said that you don't realize that God is all you need until God is all you have. And so last weekend, a number of us gathered on Saturday to celebrate 125 years. Many of you were were here for that. We celebrated God's faithfulness and we remembered. And one of the things that I heard us remember together is that our church used to be a lot bigger. We didn't dwell on it, right? We weren't there to lament that. It sort of came up as an aside. Did you notice that? It, it popped up along the way here and there. Remember when we had two services, right? Remember when the aisles were so full of folding chairs you couldn't even move? R- remember when people had to take turns alphabetically sitting in the basement? And of course, looking back sort of woke us up to the fact that we are a lot fewer these days. And we are in good company because it turns out there's a lot of people looking around at North America on the whole and noticing that the church is a lot smaller than it used to be. 20 years ago, 69% of Americans had a church that they called home. Today, it's 47%, right? But it's actually worse than that because each generation that you would see in the spread is exponentially lower than the previous, right? And so... Um, Gen X is way less than the boomers and millennials are less than Gen X and Gen Z is on course to be least of all. But what we want to know is, is why. W- what is the root of this crisis? A lot of people spending a lot of ink on that one. We we have the usual suspects, too, though, right? Uh, The media, wealth, upward mobility, secular culture, the desire to live a morally lax life. But then again, I mean, if you think about it, none of these explanations are actually new. In fact, promiscuity, a hostile government, foreign culture, wealth, the pressure to lead a non-Christian life, these things are as old as Rome itself. And the gospel spread then. So, what's different now? There was a lecture recently by Dr. Russell Moore who was pondering this very thing. Moore used to be the chair of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. I think he knows a thing or two about culture. And he noted back in August in this lecture that for a long time, we've been telling ourselves that the reasons people don't come to church are out there. Out there, the media, human selfishness, the longing for shiny things, and the American dream, right? And that's, that's there. But Moore points out that this is a pretty surface-level look at things. And he asks us to look deeper. He writes this. Today, we see young evangelicals walking away, not because they do not believe what the church teaches, but because they believe the church itself does not believe what it teaches. Wow! Kevin, which is not his real name, grew up in the church, and he took the road less traveled by folks my age. He got married in his 20s and had a couple of kids. (laughs) Kevin and his family joined a church. Desperate for young families, that congregation was eager to see them. They asked Kevin to join an important leadership team. He went to four meetings. He resigned. Six months later, they were gone. And you, you know how we play it out, right? It's the kids these days. They just want their Netflix. No, they don't understand commitment. The culture is just so hostile. It, just, it makes us so selfish. But of course, what Russell Moore is telling us is that that's a pretty shallow look at things, right? And that's not, that's not actually why Kevin left. The truth is that Kevin joined the church and the committee in spite of Netflix and a very demanding work schedule. The reason Kevin left is because of what happened in those meetings. It was because of how brothers and sisters spoke to each other and about each other. Kevin didn't leave because he couldn't commit to the gospel. He left because he was disillusioned that his church hadn't. Friends, there will always be people who want to live their best life now. But as Moore points out, the reason so many people have left church today well, it's not that they can't believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not because this guy gets eaten by a fish. It's because when they look at how we treat each other and how we speak about people who are different than us, when they see how we spend our money and our time, they're pretty sure that we don't. Our belief in the gospel has not gone nearly deep enough. It has not gone down yet to the roots of our identity. We all know that God has stretched across time and space to be with us. He was born like we are, He lived, He endured rejection, He suffered, He died. He wanted to be near each and every one of us that desperately. We have been baptized into this reality. It's just not all that important. Our problem, my friends, is not that we are bad dogs who need better obedience training. It's really not. The problem is deeper. The problem is that we love something else besides the news that God loves us. And honestly, there's a lot of people that can see it. The question is, can we? We could see way back at the beginning of this book that Jonah's identity was out of order. From the moment he fled the Temple Mount and went down to Joppa, we knew that something wasn't right in how Jonah ordered his sense of himself. But Jonah needs to see it. And that's why we have Jonah chapter 2. Because he needs to see it. And that is why God goes to all of this trouble, this circuitous route that God takes, not just to send Jonah back to Nineveh, right, but to first take him to the bottom, to the roots. You know, as Jonah sinks, he begins to realize some things about himself that it seems weren't clear before. One of the things that he realizes there in verse 4 is that he thought he could never come back from this, right? He says, I have been banished from your sight. And he means that moment when he was thrown overboard, that was it. But maybe he also means the moment he walked away from church and he thought, I made my choice, I'm done now. God spoke to him, he turned away, that's it, game over. Now he's going to just go down under God's wrath and there's nothing he can do about it. Do you realize what that means? Jonah spent his whole life in church. He spent his whole life around God. He heard from the living God, but he did not know the one thing about God that made Yahweh different from all the other gods. Jonah didn't know about grace. He did not understand that at God's heart, God is not just justice, God is mercy. He didn't know that God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He didn't know about all the gracious and merciful things that God had been doing throughout his history were exactly that. Not owed to anyone, but a simple and pure gift. But it's there in the depths of the ocean, at the bottom of the world, that God takes everything else away from Jonah, his job, his membership, his life, and Jonah discovers something that is true at the bottom of the world that has nothing to do with him. That being an Israelite wasn't about Jonah's loyalty. It wasn't about his religious performance. It wasn't about making sure he had the right views on things or the right affiliations in his world. It wasn't about how well Jonah heard and followed the voice of God. It wasn't about him at all. Jonah discovers at the bottom of the world that there is something true beneath all of that. That salvation belongs to God. It belongs to God. The Bible scholar Ed Clowney very famously used to say that Jonah 2, verse 9, is the shortest summary that you can find of the entire Bible. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And God goes to great lengths and depths. To bring Jonah to a place where he can see that that is true. in Matthew chapter 14, Jesus uh, sends his disciples out in a boat, and then he catches up to them by walking on water. And Peter sees Jesus out there, and he wants to get out of the boat. He wants Jesus to tell him to get out of the boat. Jesus, tell me to come out of the boat. Jesus says, come out of the boat. And Peter gets out of the boat. Something miraculous happens. He walks on water. And everyone wants to do the miraculous. Everyone wants to walk on the surface. Everyone wants to be the gifted, fancy person. Everybody wants to be the obedient, loyal, courageous, gifted, powerful servant of God who never doubts. And this is what Peter wants more than anything. To believe that when the chips are down and everyone else abandons Jesus, he won't. Not me, Jesus, I'm your man. No matter, no matter, no matter what happens, it's you and me, Jesus. We're going to do this together. You can count on me, Jesus. And we, in the boat, can see as clear as day what's going to happen. We see it. What's most important in Peter's life is not Jesus, but his commitment to Jesus. But Peter's the one who needs to. Did you notice that in Matthew 14, it's only when Peter starts to sink that he discovers that Jesus is the one with the power. It is only when Peter realizes that he cannot make himself float that he says those three most precious, most miraculous words, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. And the New Testament tells us over and over again that being able to see that Jesus is the one who saves, that is the real miracle. Did Jonah get swallowed alive by a great fish? I don't know. This story doesn't stutter. (laughs) It reports it as if it's the most natural thing in the world. But my friends, that is not even the real miracle here. The real miracle is that God forgives even the most blind and disloyal servants like Jonah and like us. That's the part that can be really, truly hard to believe. And that is why God goes to such great lengths, not just for Jonah, but for us. Sending his son here to show us just how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God. Expressed in his kindness to us through Jesus Christ. Just look at what he's done for us. Just look. Just look and behold. The grace of your God. Look. And let it sink in. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
2: Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy. Hear our cry, and heal our land. Let kindness lead us. back again, for well, your name is great and your heart is, great. is grace, Kyrie eleison, le- song where all, all you reign, you alone, alone can save, Kyrie
0: Lord God, you told us through Isaiah that in repentance and rest is our salvation. We acknowledge to you that our heart is an idle factory. We churn restlessly for things that will tell us that we matter when you all the while have given us the only thing that can prove to us that we do. And so we are shaking, constricting, rebirthing good news of what you have done for us in Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. As we take some time to digest all of this, to think about these words, we have ways to do that, both through our sermon discussion, which will happen after worship, but also for our third through fifth grade students through Echo. And so I'd invite uh, any of our third through fifth grade students who are with us now, uh, you can go ahead and come on up and live in ways that honor you above all. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve Jesus. Thanks be to God. We continue our response to God also by singing, offering up prayers, and offering up some of what God has entrusted to us of our, our, our money uh, for the work of our church and ministries that we partner with. We're not able to do that by passing baskets, but we are still contributing both through uh, donations that you can put in the box in the front, giving online, or dropping checks off during the week. Having done that together now, I'd invite you friends to rise. Friends, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen. Let's go singing.
2: Truth And the angels stood in awe For the souls of all who come To the Father are restored And the church of Christ was born Then the Spirit lit our flame Now this gospel truth